Welcome to a triple play podcast with Herd at Sports. Chris Schmidt, Java Chamberlain, and Elijah Herbal. Guys, we are ready for the World Series. We'll get to that in another pod, but time to look back and dive into what a magical NL and ALCS Arizona, the uh, Cinderella story. Wow. Uh, game seven in Philly last night as we talk on Wednesday. And of course, uh, the Rangers have had their feet up for just a touch, Jabba, as they were able to, to take down the defending champs in Houston. I know you love this time of year. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, like I said, to get two game sevens is pretty special. Um, and the way the D-backs did it, I don't know if you guys seen all the commotion of uh, Chris Mad Dog Russo said if they, they win game seven that he was going to retire. And so I had some fun with some buddies this morning going back and forth on, man, he was living rent-free in the D-backs domes. I mean, they were chanting his name in the celebration. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, to think, I mean, I mean, Russo's been around forever, but it was it was hilarious to see the traction that that, that really got. But, yeah, I just – the D-backs have always had, you know, the chip on their shoulder. And, I mean, shoot, going into game six and seven, Philly was 12-2 and two at home in the last two years. So, you know, going into that atmosphere is is not easy. So – and I, I think they, they were out to prove everybody wrong anyway. Well, this postseason has kind of been a reminder of, of just how – insane this sport of baseball can be and how important it is to get hot at the right time. You're talking about a regular season where you have three teams over a hundred wins and you have the Rays at 99 as well. And the two teams that end up making it to the, uh, the world series are an 84 win diamondbacks team and a Rangers team that hasn't had a winning season since 2016. I mean, I don't think anyone would have predicted these two and there's probably some insane better out there who had these two making the world series from like back in May that they got really lucky on, just made themselves a whole bunch of money. But these are not the two teams you would have expected to be making it this far. When you look at the, the entire regular season, who was dominant? The Diamondbacks team that really got hot at the right time. They play baseball in a way that really benefits them at this time of the year, which we'll get into here in a second, how they went in one game seven. And then a Rangers team that, that I mean, they have the talent on that team, but it's not a squad that's been together for a real long time. They, they made it together, though, at the right time. They played well at the end of the year, and they went through the gauntlet to make it to the World Series. It's just sometimes this sport can be random, and uh, and it's about who gets hot at the right time. You have two teams that got hot at the right time, and it sets up for a real exciting World Series. The uh, age-old question, are, are we that good or are we that hot? And the correct answer is, doesn't matter you're in the world series and uh, you have two teams that uh, are feeling pretty good about themselves and job i want to want to jump in here on the losers and i know it's typical to focus on each winning team and, and we'll do that but you've been at the highest level of this sport these are two losses want to get your take that will linger uh, is the magic carpet ride done for Houston? I think they're too talented to, to totally go away. But you flip it around and you look at Philadelphia and how how good this team was this year. And, and they're both really stung. You look at both teams, the Astros and the Phillies, and you've been on both sides of it. Uh, momentum building and monumental wins and those soul-crushing losses. Yeah, I mean, you know, Elijah touched on a little bit. Like, you put this team together, I mean, their bullpen, none of them were there. I mean, it's literally Thompson was there, but you, you fixed that bullpen and, you know, halfway through with midseason acquisitions. And, you know, look what they did. I mean, Seawald and 
and Ginkle, they, I mean, they, they threw over eight innings and only gave up like three hits or something. But I mean, on the other side too, it's, you know, a few of those guys picked the wrong time to get cold. I mean, Castellanos been one for 24, I think 12 punch outs and, you know, and it's going through and just listening to all those guys. Like you really tell like how much it hurts by just watching the demeanor. And like when Bryce was talking and how he said, not only did he let himself down in his team, but like he felt like the whole city of Philly and, you know, it's, it's always nice to get there, but if you don't finish at the top and, and the last one standing, it, it's tough. And, you know, you sit and what, what could I have done different? What could we have done different? If we get one big hit, does that change it? And, you know, Bryce, the consummate professional, and he's like, you know, I got the pitch I wanted. I got him to 2-1. He threw me a fastball, and I just missed him. So I, I think, you know, and, and – the respect that that Tom's had for for those guys on the other side, I think it really showed. And you know, you got to like Tom said, you got to tip your cap. You come into that environment and beat them twice at home is is something to be said. But yeah, I think from from both sides in, in the Astros, they're just too much talent. I mean, when you've got Jordan Alvarez hitting four sixty five, and you don't have anybody else that even hit over three hundred with a lineup like that. I mean, you have the AL MVP and World Series MVP that hit 200 in Jeremy Pena. Obviously, he was great up the middle, but you're going to need somebody else to step up. And that was that was kind of, I think, the, the common denominator that didn't come together for the Astros was like, you know, they would get it one game, but then you, know, you go back and break it down and see how talented that lineup is and only have one guy hit over 300 and let alone hit over 400. I mean, I just think he went – he went to another level in the fact that we all know he can hit 800 foot homers, but he was putting together great at bats and just getting singles when he needed. And I mean, just think he missed 49 games. There. Just think what he would have done if, you know, he, he's a Bregman and plays 150. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I think you look at Altuve and, and the talent coming back. I mean, he's second, he's already played over a hundred games in the postseason. He's second only to Manny Ramirez in home runs. And he's just a gamer. And he missed 70 games this year. So you get you get half of those games back with with what they have coming back. I I think you're you're 100 percent right on that, Schmitty. I think they're just too good to go away. You look at what was the key ingredient last night, fellas, in, in Arizona's bullpen. Uh, Elijah and Job, I want to go there. Ginkle, incredible as he was able to come come in for one and two thirds. But that seventh inning was, uh, I mean, you're playing with fire, baby. <laughs> you are two on, one out, and you're able to to get Turner and Harper to fly out. I know you touched on that at bat in that commentary from from Harper. But to the eighth inning as well, to come in and go one, two, three, that is absolutely demoralizing and then Seawald the, to slam the door. And these guys were all pretty key additions uh, around the, 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 not all, but around the trade deadline where Arizona said, okay, where can we add and, and maybe strengthen our team? And I want to go into, to Brennan fought your um, connection, your parallel with him and and how uh, you get that phone call, you got family that are gonna 
spare no time or expense to come see you. Uh, I know there's a, there's an anecdote you want to touch on there. Yeah. Was, uh, JP Rossi did a great story on MLB and, you know, as I'm just going through getting prepared for the show and, you know, it's, it's always, you know, when, when we first thought about this idea, it was the name that I thought was life and baseball. And like, this is kind of where it hit home. It's just, you know, you got two brothers, you know, they all, their grandpa's still a professor at the college they went to. Their dad went there, all three brothers. They all three, you know, played at the university. And, you know, his his brothers, you know, told each other when they were sitting on the couch that they're like, we're not missing another one. So they decide to get in the car at 7 a.m. And they get to the uh, the field. And, I mean, JP does a great job getting all this information. So it's, it's always nice when you get a you know, throw him out there and, and all the great stuff that he does. And so he's going through and talking about, they get there 90 minutes before the game. And, and one of the questions that, uh, that really made me smile was where were your stops? And they said to Wendy's and Wendy's is near and dear to my heart because that is where I got the phone call of when I was getting called up to the big league. So, you know, just seeing that story of, of the brothers and just the love that they have for each other and, and that they share a love for Wendy's. So I'm a, I'm, I'm proud of them, and now his brother's a legend. I mean, he's only one of 13. I need to find this out, and I know where I can find it, but there was 12 game sevens where Ricky started, but there was a game eight, and I don't know the background of that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and find that out so we have it for everybody on Friday. And, you know, now it's – I mean, it's you, you're deciding game seven – you're a rookie. You got sent down three times. And everything that I've read from everybody that has talked about him is like every time that he went down, when he came back, he got better. And listening to his brothers talk, and they were always just like, he had this stuff and we knew it was just he had to figure out how to get guys out and swing and miss. And, you know, it's that Phillies lineup is a great fastball hitting team. And I'd, I'd be remiss to I mean, I think the time before that he faced him, he had like 12 or 13 swing and misses on fastballs. Mm. And it was pretty close to that last night. So it's just, it's cool to hear those stories of guys, you know, get sent down three times, but comes back and, and looks what he, he's done in the playoffs. And just now is, you know, he'll go down in history. And it's a, it's a pretty cool story about him and his brothers and his family. And Java, you talked about it in our first ever show here on the Triple Play podcast about you know what, those young guys, sometimes they step into this moment and you had two young guys, two rookies for, for the Diamondbacks that weren't playing like rookies in a big moment with Corbin Carroll and Fott, where it's, it's you kind of said, sometimes you're too young and dumb to understand just how big the moment is you're playing in. And I think he especially saw it from Corbin Carroll last night. He was fantastic in a game seven. And, and a lot of times you'd expect rookies to, to not be able to step up in that moment because you know what, you're the young guy. You see the, the, the flashing lights you see just how big a moment is and the pressure gets to you, but you had two guys that the pressure really didn't get to them. The one, the one thing that was, was kind of boggling my mind for the first couple of games, why they weren't running. You seen what happened when they started stealing bases and putting pressure. Like there were times where he would get on and I'm like, okay, the dude's super fast had 40 bags plus, And he didn't run for, I think the first two or three games. And I would, I had no idea what, the thinking behind that was, I mean, obviously JT is unbelievable behind the day. And their, their guys were good at holding runners on, but like force the issue, you've seen what happened. I mean, and he goes out and gets big hit after big hit. And 
you know, it's you're when you step up in that situation, I mean, you become a bona fide superstar. And, you know, nobody's nobody, if you're a baseball fan, doesn't know who Corbin Carroll is right now. So, you know, it was it was cool to hear his speech after you could tell he got a little choked up just on how much it means to get to the World Series and catching that final out. So, yeah, it's just like we've said, sometimes it's you keep it I, the kiss theory. You keep it simple, stupid. Go do what you're good at and uh, let the chips fall where they may. And they fell in a good place. <laughs> and, and Java, it's interesting to see how, I mean, the Diamondbacks do it against the Phillies. And it kind of reminded me of the, the World Baseball Classic with that Japanese team where it's not necessarily small ball. It's just baseball fundamentals that are winning them baseball games. Corbin Carroll gets the first run on the board with some fantastic two-out hitting. Just sends it back where it comes from. Doesn't get the best contact, but he sneaks it through the infield and you get a run on the board. And then you have sacrifice flies, sacrifice bunts stealing bags it's baseball fundamentals that seem to have gone away somewhat in recent years and it's kind of that that return to to what baseball is with the arizona diamondbacks it's it's their generating runs it's not the long ball it's not the sexiest way to play baseball but it's what has won teams a lot of games for a lot of years and it seems to have lost some favor in the mlb in recent years with analytics and and ops and all these statistics that you know what the long ball it's a it's a great way to win games but whenever it comes down to it and you have one game that you need to go win in a game seven, the Diamondbacks turn to those baseball fundamentals with stealing bags and, and kind of all the things I laid out there. And what do they do? They're, they're going to a World Series on the back. That it just kind of reminded me of, of how Japan went and won the World Baseball Classic with great fundamentals on bunts and sending guys over. And you know what? Whenever you need to win a baseball game, that is the way that I think you should do it 10 times out of 10. Those Those little plays that, you know what? might not get you 10,000 retweets on Twitter because you're hitting a home run in front of the home fans, but man, does it win baseball games? It's the little things guys we see all the time. Jabba, you as a proud dad from watching your guy grow up and uh, same with me where, all right, can you get a bunt down? Can you steal a base? Can you minimize damage? And Elijah, you see it as an umpire where it is the team that can handle pressure and apply pressure uh, at the at the at the youngest level to what we saw last night, specifically the last two games with the Diamondbacks, and it is about execution. And I I'm interested too. You know there was a pucker factor last night a little bit with Philly, not as kind of the favorite because of the star power, but just all right. We 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 lost Game Six. We got to get it done Game Seven at home, and the house money possible mentality with the Diamondbacks and and that that was very real and you, you saw some uncharacteristic not miscues or mistakes but just maybe some tentativeness by Philadelphia versus Arizona out there playing free and making plays and I think the stat that's going to haunt Philly all offseason long in those final two games at home you're two of 17 with runners in scoring position it I don't just think kills you I don't think it was a little bit of the, the pucker factor. I think it was a lot of bit the pucker factor. The guys that you expected to step up and make plays. I mean, Trey Turner, Castellanos, Bryce Harper, 0 of 23 in the final two games at home. That 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 just screams pucker factor to me whenever you know, man, <laughs> we, we got two games here to get one playing in front of the home fans. There's that pressure. Man, it, it just felt like they, they succumbed to that because two of 17 with runners in scoring position is not what got the Phillies to this point. It's not how they played baseball all year long. They, they would have a, a guy, one of their superstars, step up, and they just didn't get it over the final two games. I mean, the last 18 innings, they scored three runs. I mean, you got to tip your cap to, obviously, to 
the staff on the other side and the D-backs, but that lineup's too good to go two for 17. And, and I think, I think that maybe too, like going back to what, what we were talking about and is that pressure there? I mean, now it's like, do we even care about home field advantage for the world series? Like, I mean, in the championship series, it did nothing for us. I mean, it didn't do anything. So yeah, when you go two for 17 and, and you got, you know, guys like Castellanos and all them going one for 24 in big situations, I just think they were so accustomed to like, okay, he didn't get it done. He's going to get it done. And then I think that's when, that's when starts stuff's building up. And then I think it just, it starts to fester and then people start to press. And next thing you know, you're going home looking at what, what the hell else could we have done? And I think that's, that's part of it where it was always to the next guy, to the next guy. And I think that could go good and bad both ways because now you think the next guy's going to handle it. Now, you know, he hasn't got a hit in his last 10 at bats and you're trying to press and maybe you go out of the zone a little bit to try and do too much. So, I mean, credit where credit's due, but yeah, this is, um, sometimes it's, uh, the next guy is, is sometimes on a negative connotation for the mere fact it's like, okay, may I expand the zone and do something? You've seen it a couple times in Bryce, and Bryce is so good with his strike zone discipline, you know, swinging a ball a little bit at the top of the zone. And, you know, that's – it's just, you know, when you start to press, you just – you do things that you don't normally do. And I, and I think they kind of – they kind of succumb to, to that aspect of it, of passing to the next guy and then realizing it's like, oh, shit, I need to do something right here. And then, and then you know, forcing the issue and obviously not getting the result that you want. Well, Java, I want to to get your thoughts on the moment last night that, I mean, everyone's talking about today. Kevin Ginkle coming in the seventh, runner in scoring position. You've got two guys that you don't want to be facing in that moment in, in Trey Turner and Bryce Harper. Maybe Kevin Ginkle's different than me and he wants to face those guys, but that's that's not the ideal situation for any baseball team in a game seven to have those two guys up to bat with runners in scoring position. And what does Ginkle do? He steps in. His breaking ball was borderline unhittable last night. He just comes in, looks fantastic, steps up in the moment. I want to get your thoughts, your reaction watching that. Yeah, I mean, he was throwing his slider, but it was like a curveball and this sweeper BS that they put in because the analytics and all that garbage. Um, but usually you want a tighter spin on your slider. Like you want a small – like his was like this big, and it – I mean, it probably moved like 17 feet. I mean, I could go back and look at the analytics of – of percent of, of vertical and horizontal drop and all the other stuff. But I mean, he just laid it out on the line. He challenged, he went with his best stuff. I mean, the guy laid it. I mean, he put them things on the ground and said, Hey, come get them. And you know, it was, it was, it's fun to see. I mean, I'm fired up watching the game because I know that feeling like, and I can only imagine what he's feeling and, you know, to go. And it's like, I want to, who else do I want to face? I want to face the best of the best because I want to know we got there by, by beating their best. And, and it's, I mean, coming in and just being able to slow the game down. And I think that's part of what the pitch clock has done in a good way. It's, it stops you taking the thinking out of it. It's like, okay, I got to go. I got to go to work. I can't sit here, step off. Oh shit. No, I really want a fastball in. And then you're like, oh, he just adjusted his feet. Okay, now I need to go slider away. Because we're noticing everything where he sets up in the box, if he notices something. And, I mean, you can see every pitch you throw against him now. But sometimes it's just a little thing like he may be trying to clear his front side. 
It's John and Chamberlain. Like, oh. And it's just, it's, I, I just, I loved it. I was excited. I was, I mean, I just love good baseball. Well, you're seeing it, Java Chamberlain, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt, Triple Play Podcast with Herd at Sports. And uh, you've got the World Series set up here, Arizona and the Texas Rangers. And I know we uh, joked about it earlier this week, uh, Mr. October, right, Reggie Jackson. Uh, <laughs> and uh, some of us have Reggie Jackson stories. I think, Java, you've probably run into him more times than – I have in my life, but I go back to a regular season series and, and my little guy juniors, uh, the biggest Yankees fan there is. So whether it's Kansas city or Chicago or Denver for the Rockies, we'd go out and see the Yankees. Uh, and he, uh, this is before he got way too tall. So he'd show up with his little Yankees hat on and, and uh, try and get to the, the dugout, right? He's, in search of uh, of Aaron Judge, he's in search of any Yankee autograph he can get, and uh, lo and behold, back in 2014, Reggie Jackson was making his way out of the dugout. Junior got to the uh, top of the dugout, and this brand new hat. He's like, "Dad, take me to a famous store that's in every mall where you you spend about 40 bucks on fitted hats." Well. He shook me down for a brand new Yankee fitted hat. He takes it off and slides it on top of the dugout as he kind of gets by the yellow coats, the security. And and Reggie like stops it and says, I didn't tell you I'd sign this. <laughs> and he that sounds about right. And he and he scowls and then and then Carson slides the pen to him. <laughs> so he gets the bill signed and it's it's framed downstairs. But uh yeah, uh, that that time uh Reggie Jackson got to meet Carson Schmidt. It was pretty funny. I'm pretty sure you're not the only one that has that story with, with what he said like that. Yeah. He, uh, Reggie is Reggie. Um, and everybody that's probably met him or, or had more than one encounter with him is, is gotten, gotten to know that that's, that's a like, I'm going to go off topic and then get back to Reggie. Yeah. If they put Reggie's in Yankee hall of fame, how do you feel about A-Rods? Is it just because of the steroid admission? Why do you think they didn't retire Listen, his I, number? I, I think there's going to be a point in time where A-Rod gets retired. Okay. He'll, he'll get in. And I think at some point there's a lot of guys that have a lot of dirt on them that will eventually get in. I just hope for their sake. Uh, that they're still alive to see it because I know that's near and dear to so many players' hearts. You you play to win, you play because you love it, but you also play for the immortality of it. I mean, you've been out to Monument Park, I don't know how many times in your career with some of the famous Yankees. And I mean, those guys are immortalized. So you know, A-Rod, listen, A-Rod probably des deserves to be in, so does Barry Bonds. And I'm not Listen, I know you know him better than than most, but as as a dude, yeah, I'm 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 not. It sucks that there's an admission, but I think there is so much going on in that era over a, a generation that it's more about who wasn't on it. Uh, so uh, I think if you were on it, you were on it probably because you were facing somebody who might have been on it, and 
That's just how baseball was. I think Reggie, I think Reggie is obviously a Hall of Famer and he put up insane numbers, but A Rod and, and even Barry Bonds both had numbers uh, in their career pre usage in, in my estimation. So that's that's my logic for for giving them both a nod. Yeah, I mean that's it's always it's always interesting to hear people's perspective as far as well, if you let this person in, they didn't play their whole career there, this, that, and another thing. Mm-hmm. So it's always it's always interesting. And and when we get this out there, I'll uh, I'll see what people think just so we can get some feedback on it mm-hmm. or whatever. So but now Reggie is um I have a good one and a bad one. Um the bad one's not terrible, but uh all of a sudden it's I get called up to double A and we're we're in a hard hitting New Britain. Uh Shithole of a place, but they could hit, and they had a sweet bar right next to the hotel. So I was good. <laughs> and we, side note, we met this chick that had boom and pow, like from the old car- Batman cartoon. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. She was great. That's, uh, that's another hard hit in New Britain, but. So all of a sudden, I see Stick, Michael, Billy Epler, Reggie, and then they're like, Cashman's coming. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Well, we end up getting rained out. Mm -hmm. And so I hadn't given up a home run all year. And Reggie and Stick come back the next day. Well, the first two hitters on back-to-back pitches, I give up back-to-back home. Oh, shit. And so I'm like, ooh, this is awesome. Like, my goal was to get to double A. So I was like, you know what? I got here. I went to the All-Star game. Perfect. Like, awesome. So I was so pissed at myself. I literally went straight into the clubhouse. I think I went into the fourth and just put my stuff on, put my headphones on, and I just take off. I ran. I ran until basically the game was over. I got back in, like, the ninth inning. And I go in, and, and Reggie's in there, and, and – uh, he was like, oh, so you're just going to give up homers now that I'm here? I was like, yep, that's exactly what I was trying to do, Mr. Jackson. I was like, what the hell was I supposed to say? So he stays for a couple of weeks, and he was like, just getting to know me, I guess. And he was like, well, what number did you wear in college? And I was like, 44. He's like, where'd you go? I was like, went to Nebraska. He goes, it would be an honor if you wore number 44 in a Yankees uniform. And at this point, I'd gotten enough rapport. And I go, I have heard stories. You're full of shit. And he goes, yeah, you're right. Nobody else is going to wear it. And so <laughs> I was like, all right. And then he did something really cool. Like he saw my dad and signed a ball for my dad and said, oh, wow. my dad still has it in his, in his uh, chest at home. And Reggie put welcome to the family. Glad to have him. So yeah, it was, there's, there's some funny, there's some funny Reggieisms, and yeah, I'm not bad luck. You just give up homers when I'm here. Yeah, and then so I was there. For, I was in Double A for about. He was there with me for like three weeks, and he'd always sit down and talk. And you know, obviously, as a baseball fan, you're like Reggie Jackson. No shit, I'm gonna sit down and talk to you. And I'd heard some stories for some other guys. And uh, yeah, it was funny. He's like, it'd be an honor for you to wear. I was like, you're full shit. There ain't no way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Reggie. Reggie's great. Funny, funny Reggie story. He uh, played his college ball at, at Arizona State, and he was he got to Arizona State 
on, I think, a football scholarship. And a guy who knows or knew Reggie real well, because he was coaching at Arizona State, was Charlie McBride. And oh. so there's there's that sort of Nebraska crossover between yeah, McBride parallel right there. And, and Reggie, but Reggie didn't spend uh, hardly any time at football. He ended up going to baseball. The rest, as they say, is history. But, yeah, there was uh, a little little familiarity there from a Nebraska standpoint. But I can just see that pause and, and glare from Reggie about the, the discussion on, on number 44. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, 100%. Like, he was trying to be genuine, and I'm like, uh, no. Like, let's let's be serious here. Like, no way. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, it's, yeah, he's – I still think it's weird – and it's, he played for more, like he played for the angel. Yeah. Like when I, when I, see he was a naked angels, gun. Was, oh yeah. <laughs> he was in another one too. Uh, was it less? Yeah. It was like naked gun 33 and a half or something. There's like seven of them. Yeah, I know it was, it was one of them where Reggie, uh, Reggie was going to kill the queen. That's right. That's right. <laughs> With his, well, he always had the big rec spec glasses too. Yeah. Yeah. Because because Reggie his uh, his time with with the Yanks of course with the A's did he do time and I want to say it, it, the Angels I got to look up every, you're for, you're forgetting there. you're forgetting like a very obscure one because he was only there for Baltimore ones yeah yep I was gonna say do I remember having a, a baseball card of Reggie Jackson in an yep. Orioles uniform but I don't know. Um, hey, it's 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 October, so we got to talk a little Reggie. See, Have it's to, funny because right? because uh, my generation, I've seen the Naked Gun, but I remember he has that little cameo in the uh, the Bench Warmers. So I remember yes, yeah. uh, Reggie Jackson from. <laughs> which looking just, back, like I just like, like, gener- watched that movie. <laughs> yeah, generationally, how we're different here. <laughs> and it's funny how uh, I watched that movie in middle school, and I thought it was the shit. And now I look back, that movie is not good. It's still funny. It still holds up somewhat, but like. Turns out whenever you're in middle school, you think everything's a little funnier than it actually is. Oh, no, you're, you're all good with bench warmers because it's, yeah, I'll it's give funny. You that one. It's funny. Whenever I'm sick on the couch, I've got the uh, the blanket around me and, and Junior will come up and say, oh, how's Howie doing? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the character. Is, yeah, uh, yeah. Scared of the sun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> covered up. So... <laughs> I'm going to step out for two seconds. You guys talk amongst yourselves because I've got a crazy German. Hold on. Job, we need to hit ALCS here real fast because you and I watched game six together on Sunday night. And one of the the discussions we were having as we kind of start looking ahead to the World Series just a little bit, I don't want to dive too deep in because we do have a show coming up Friday live show from the Herd at Sports Bar and Grill up in La Vista. We encourage you to come check that out if you want to come. Uh, see us preview the World Series. So we got to save some of our World Series thoughts for that show on Friday. But one of the things we were talking about, Jabba, was the back end of that Rangers bullpen and who's going to come in and close down games because you have LeClerc who looked a, a little bit shaky at times in game five, especially of that ALCS. But then you also have a guy in a role, this Chapman, who I don't think anyone in the world wants to trust right now. And I want to get your thoughts just on on how big of a deal you think that's going to be moving into the World Series because the Rangers, they got it done in game seven. They talked about post-game, how they just tried to treat it like any other game, playing cards before the game, trying to keep things loose. But 
it's harder and harder to do that the deeper and deeper you get into the postseason with the World Series coming around. And those are two guys, Aroldis Chapman and, and LeClerc, that I worry about in that moment trying to treat it like any other game, especially with some of their recent history. And and I want to get your thoughts just on, on those two guys back into that Rangers bullpen. What type of 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 message like their performances in the, the ALCS kind of sends to the Diamondbacks and that I don't think the Diamondbacks will ever feel like they're out of a game in the World Series with those two guys coming in and trying to close it down. Yeah, and we, we've seen it, uh, I mean, more than once with Chapman, you don't know. I mean, you have no idea. He's probably going to go full count to at least two guys, may not get through the inning. Um, LeClerc has been spotty at times. Uh, you trust I, I him think, more. You definitely do trust him more. I was concerned oh, after yeah. game five putting him in, in that spot in game six. You definitely trust him more than Chapman. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, that's literally from, you know, where it's at to um, – there's it's a no brand. It's I think he's pulled him three times in the eighth inning to get to Leclerc. I think he had two or two or three four out saves. And like you said, you're gonna you're gonna trust him more. Um, but you gotta get him the ball first. True. <laughs> you gotta score runs. And the back that's just that's the scariest part for me is like trying to figure out if they're gonna be consistent enough to win. And Obviously, it's played itself out, and I think that, you know, that's you can only flirt with fire so many times before it, it catches you. So I, I think somebody will step up. They've got enough guys that, that understand what they're trying to do and, you know, to basically you're going to have to have your starters continue to do what they've done and, and give you a chance to win. I mean – Evaldi's, I mean, that's, there's nothing to be said about that dude. He's a, just a bona fide postseason stud in the way, you know, Montgomery stepped up and in that aspect. So I think it's it's going to be real important for the starters to get deep into the game. And I think, you know, as far as the Diamondbacks goes to, to take pitches and, and we'll focus more on that. But I think try to get into the bullpen as fast as you can. I, I think that's probably – where they're thinking with, with what they they have coming at the back end, knowing that they're susceptible to, to giving up some runs. Jabba, to, to wind down our, our AL and NLCS review, our triple play podcast with Hurt at Sports, Elijah Herbal, Jabba Chamberlain, Chris Schmidt. I want your take on, on Mad Max, your, your, fr- your dear friend Max Scherzer, and how you think he is going to be heading in to this world series. Cause he's a, he's a vet and he knows what it's all about. I think the more comfortable he gets in game situations, the better Max is going to get. I mean, you know, he got into the, the third inning and, you know, Monty came in and, and did some stuff. I think, you know, going back to those guys, I think Sabors is a guy that's really going to need to step up and, and do some more stuff from the bullpen. But, you know, Max is Max. He's going to go out and compete with whatever he's got. Um, he's going to give you a chance to win. And I think just the more comfortable he gets in game situations, because I don't I mean, he's a future Hall of Famer, no doubt. But you're out for over a month and you come back. You don't make a rehab start. You can you pitch in sim games. You do all that. But that's like nothing being out there in a postseason game. You know, and it's, it just shows you what kind of competitor and, and what Boach felt with Max of, okay, you've had one start, but you're starting game seven, and it's not even a question. So it's he's going to go out and compete. He's going to give you everything he's got. And 
I think it it sucks for the D-backs because the more comfortable he gets and he gets speed on that bump, he's just going to be better. I, you know, he's he's. I can guarantee you right now, and we'll talk about this again, but he's going to go more than three innings on Friday. I can promise you that. And, and John, one of the things with with both of these pitching staffs, really, and again, we'll get into this a little bit more on Friday, but with the the Diamondbacks and the Rangers, both of these these pitching staffs can really trust the defense behind them. And I'm curious to see how much that is going to change pitching strategy in, in the World Series with the top two best defensive teams in baseball in the regular season. I think they both uh, had a 990 fielding percentage on the regular season as a team, good for one and two in the entire major leagues. And and probably not a coincidence that the two teams with the, with the best fielding percentage are the two teams that are making it to the World Series. But it's so crucial this time you're not making unforced errors in the defense. And you know what? Whenever your pitcher does make a good pitch and uh, it gets you a chance to make an out that you're able to make that play. Yeah, I mean, you, you see it with, with both teams. And, you know, it's it's fun to watch those guys. I mean, there's nothing you can say about Marcus Simeon. I mean, he's missed one game in five years. Like, dude's a gamer. Um, Seager, obviously. And, you know, just all around, they're just – they do the, the – like I always say, do the common things uncommonly well. You know, and it, it, it's, it's just what they do. They They throw it, they catch it, they field it. And so, yeah, I think – it's going to it's going to be fun and obviously the numbers don't lie as 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 baseball goes and i know numbers become part of it um there's still a baseball feel and you know you, you've got a guy like boach that's going to go off that and, and i think Tori lavella in in a little bit of that aspect too because you know he said this is this is what we're going to go with this is our our plan and you know everybody thought alex thomas was going to start and, and tommy fan start so you know i think both of them have what they're going to do and it's, it's going to be fun. Java Chamberlain, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt, Triple Play Podcast. And come see us at the Herdat Sports Bar and Grill Friday, a live pod, 6 to 7, as we get you set for Game 1 of the World Series with the Texans, Texas Rangers, man, all sorts of Texas going on. And, uh, yeah, it'll be fun with Arizona, the Diamondbacks, kind of the uh, the Cinderella don't tell them that uh, game one heard at sports bar and grill with the triple pay triple play podcast starting at six it heard at sports bar and grill. We'll talk to you next time and we'll see you there for a live pod with triple play.